You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Oh, thank you. I'm ruined. I'm just ruined for his presence. And I don't want to make this about, kind of speak about cause because the Lord was there powerfully and we encountered his presence. And if you weren't there, you haven't missed it. He's here this morning and I'm even more ruined than I was then. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence. You are faithful. You are faithful, God. And I just want to say, it's worth saying that on the Friday night, we um, Paul spoke. It was brilliant. Um, everything will be released. You can catch up. Um, and after he spoke, the Spirit of God fell more powerfully than I have ever experienced. And it was like an out-of-body experience, like being caught up. And this is going to sound weird, but in the in the cosmos, like in the in a, just a different realm. And the yeah, the waves of 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 singing and silence and and beauty were just it just was one of the most precious moments I've ever had in my life. And now my leg's shaking. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. I promise. I promise I'm going to speak in a minute. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'll just riff. No, I won't riff. <laughs> I promise I won't riff. Um, but just to say that that was, you know, just want to honour these guys, honour Paul and Steph for all that they carry for cause and the movement. Um, and uh, yeah, just the way that you held that space, Paul, and 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 and, and ministered, and 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 yeah, created that that space. It's all the Lord, but yeah, just thank you. And and we get to have the Spirit here, and these guys leading us. I just I'm I just think it's the most exciting thing, and God is doing something. Um, so yeah, don't feel like whatever, however you felt in that worship time, and the Lord was moving. Like if you're like I didn't really feel very much, that's okay. Um, God is here, and we've got ministry time later, so get involved then. <laughs> Um, great. We are in Luke 17. Um, we've been doing a series on Luke, um, so we're just going to dive in now, um, and where we find some lessons on faith and how to live well with each other, see the impossible made possible, reach those on the margins and have faith to keep moving together with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Faith is at the center of our discipleship to Jesus. It has a huge amount to do with what we believe, but having faith is also an action and can cause us to behave in certain ways that shows us where our trust and our belief lies. And having faith isn't just reserved for those who are part of a church or a faith community. We all put our faith in something. You have faith that your car will start, that the buses will run, that your shoes will stay on your feet to get you to where you're going next. And if you have any plans or expectations from tomorrow onwards, you have faith that the sun will rise in the morning and your behavior and your confidence is found in those things. Faith in God is not a blind leap into the dark. It has been said that faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservations. It can be understood as confidence grounded in reality. It's not believing something for which you've got no knowledge or evidence for, but believing something based on evidence, believing it to be true. Jesus acknowledges in John 20, verse 29, that people who saw him do, um, do amazing things, believed in him, those who were walking with him when he was on the earth. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. We don't experience Jesus literally walking around like his followers did then, but we do encounter his presence 
we see his power and we're transformed by his leading in our lives. So as we go through this morning, we'll take a look at a few aspects of faith, focusing on the space that we give it in our lives to shape our hearts and how we live. So number one, faith to live well together with each other. For Jesus, faith and forgiveness are good companions. In Hebrews 12 verse 2, we're asked to consider Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In order not to lose heart, we're not prompted to look, I just can't stop crying. (laughs) He's so good. We're not asked to reflect on the times that he hung out with his friends or took time to retreat or have dinner with his pals. We are asked to fix our eyes on the moment that he endured opposition, the moment he endured the cross, and now that he sits at the right-hand side of God. This is where we find encouragement for our faith to not grow weary. It kind of sounds like the opposite would be true. But Jesus is so real with us. He knows that life can and will be tough and that we get to experience victory from the things we endure. Even the image of Jesus at the right-hand side of God shows us the closeness that we also get to have with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. To understand what our faith made perfect looks like, we have to be familiar with these things. We need to regularly remind ourselves that as we live in faith with Jesus, following his ways, enduring trials, forgiving and enduring, it's crucial to remember the cross where he forgave and made a way for us to be in good relationship with him. Where does your heart go in moments of trials and moments of endurance? Do you consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart? Do we really believe that that is the best way to live? Or do we flee from trials, the things that might shape us well in the long run and the things that will cost us? Do our actions show that a life of laying down, our lives forgiving others and repenting is key to living well? When it feels like you are enduring relationships, fix your eyes on Jesus and the hope set before you. Jumping into Luke 17, we see why this is so important. One day Jesus says to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is forgiveness... Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. This is crucial to living well with each other. When temptations come, look out for each other, particularly those who may be vulnerable, the young and those who are young in their faith, and don't find yourself as the person who is doing the tempting. Help each other live well. Be considerate of each other's boundaries or choices that they might put in place to keep themselves, to help themselves in this. In safe, accountable relationships, share the things that you find tricky, enticing or distracting. You can be tempted to both physically do something as well as ways of thinking, speaking and prioritising your time, finances and energy. Give someone permission to ask you how things are going and call out when they see something in your life that will destroy you. In these moments, meet each other in love. Don't censor yourself expecting to be shamed and don't shame others. And if you're willing to correct... Are you willing to receive correction and forgive? Responsible love can both give and receive a correction. For some of us, 
pride needs knocking on the head where we're not used to doing this. Humble yourself and have faith that this is key to living well. I love um, Proverbs 9, starting at verse 7. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise and they will love you. Don't we want to be wise, to have people lovingly speak into our lives? This doesn't need to be a sit-down conversation where someone lays out all of your faults, unless your character can take that, but mine can't. So, um, so maybe just avoid that as a starter. Um, but prayerfully consider your role in someone's life where there is accountability to speak the truth in love and receive it with a heart of reconciliation, aware of all the stuff in our own lives. That isn't God's best. And read the Bible, be ready and soft to change. Um, I don't know if you find this, but I often find when I'm reading the Bible, it's like Jesus is just hit me between the eyes when he's speaking to, his Pharise- speaking to the Pharisees or to his followers. And it just knocks you out of your self-centeredness, out of pride, gluttony, selfishness. There's so much in there that can convict us in a loving way. We don't have to look far to find the things that challenge and change us to be more like Jesus. Be quick to repent when you've wronged someone and have humility and courage to continue repenting in order to stay in right relationship with each other. Reading more into this, you could say Jesus is saying, don't spiral into shame. Don't let the thing you did or the offence you caused make you pull away from relationships, but confess, asking for forgiveness. And when you're the other side of it, forgive. Be ready to forgive seven times a day, which is Jesus speak for unendingly. It's wild that we've invented this mad rule of three strikes and you're out. Where did that come from? Probably sports. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sporty. (laughs) It's like we didn't even know that we could even get to seven times. So even if you hear seven and think, oh, I could do that. Seven is a lot. And keep going, let alone unendingly. We need to work at our human nature to get in line with the kingdom of God. We believe it's our right to hold a grudge after someone has done something enough times that we deem unacceptable. And that number is three sometimes, even if we get that far. Where might the Lord be challenging you to let it go, to drop the grudge and live well? Do you believe and do your actions show that protecting our and our own and each other's spiritual journeys are worth trying to get this right? Let's have grace with each other as we do that well. Skipping ahead to verse 33. In Luke 17, it says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. Let go of the debts we think we're owed by each other's behavior towards us. Where you've expected more from someone, just look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And as we looked at, Jesus says in verse 3, where there is repentance, forgive. We're comfortable enough with that. But on the cross, in Luke 23, verse 24, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even when there is unrepentance or even no acknowledgement that someone's caused you pain, forgive them. Mark 11 is telling of a similar time of Jesus with his disciples. He says, when you're praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. When we live like this, we live out in faith that we believe Jesus' way is the best way. We live out in faith that we believe we are truly forgiven, set free and made whole. We get to experience that with each other, both being on the receiving end and on the giving end of a loving conversation. And Jesus doesn't ask us to forgive in in an empty, hollow way. He went first. He endured the cross and endured opposition for the joy set before him. 
Do you have faith that there is a life of fullness to be had in forgiveness and repentance? I can't think of a more simple equation to give us as the body to live well in doing that. Number two, faith to do the impossible. If all of that feels like a massive challenge, you're in good company. Jesus' disciples' response to this in verse 5 is effectively help. Show us how to increase our faith, is what they say. For all that Jesus had said about repentance, forgiveness and temptations, they needed help to do it. They needed confidence that this is going to be the best for them, even when it feels challenging. And Jesus' response, classically, is so kind. If you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus is affirming that even when they have the tiniest amount of faith, God can use it. He's empowering them that this isn't really about them and that, yes, you do have faith and you can do the things that feel impossible. When we hear wild stories of Jesus at work, we can think, wow, only the most dedicated people full of faith could see that happen. But that's just not the case of what we get to experience. We get to see Jesus at work. And it's so special when we gather together on a Sunday and see God at work among us. I love the first out loud prayers that people pray when they're um, getting used to praying with each other for the first time or they're new to faith. They're so precious. And there's faith in those prayers that their words aren't just falling empty to the ground. I love how we always pray, Holy Spirit, come. And we make room for whatever whatever he wants to do. Um, And this is obviously on a Sunday, but this is out in the week too. We're not a holy huddle. We we, we operate with this in the week. And um, one of you was chatting to someone recently um, and they were sharing some financial struggles um, and that they, they were very short in the week and there was nothing left. They were really worried about getting through the week. And, and, and this person, one of you, was sharing that, yeah, whenever I'm experiencing that, I pray and, and God provides. And this person doesn't know Jesus, has never been to has never been to church, our church. Um, And when things are getting tight, that the Lord will provide and that he does come through. And they were happy for for you to pray with them. And um, later that afternoon, a a complete stranger who didn't know anything about the situation um, walked in and handed them a £10 note saying, this is for you. And I don't really know why, but this is for you. Which is exactly what they needed to get them through the week. A tree was uprooted and moved into the sea. And the delight that they experienced was wild and full of hope for God's love for them. I love the simplicity of kids' prayers. One of the kids was praying for an adult um, in ministry time when they came in the other week. um, and, And their prayer was, God, help them feel better tomorrow. Full of authority and faith that it will be tomorrow. And I'd actually never followed up, and I don't know, but come on, Lord. Tomorrow happened. Um, and there's such, such faith in the hearts of, of the little ones um, that we get to learn from. So don't discount the faith that you have. Raise your expectations for what God can do with the little that you have. And um, catch up on cause, not to make this all about cause to live for, but there are, there are stories in what was shared in those talks that will raise your faith. Um, and in Matthew and Mark, they also give an account of this interaction and the language of a mountain is moved. And it really doesn't alter the message in any way. Um, it's essentially that with God, nothing is impossible. And it says um, in verse 22, they have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. 
when it comes to the scale of the task ahead of you or something you would love to see shifted, say to that mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea. And it's also important to acknowledge that the mountain doesn't always move in the way we want it to. We know it only takes a bit of faith. So as long as, as we have a bit, we can pray. Be persistent in prayer and know that we cannot make this happen in our own strength. The imagery of a mountain is so helpful because it is a bit ridiculous. No one in their own strength could physically move a mountain into the sea. It could only be God. Be faithfully persistent, praying for his will to be done and know that we are up against it sometimes that we need to take prayer seriously, fast, and be persistent to see, to see mountains move. Each Sunday at nine o'clock, we're praying for our church, for a building of our own and for churches to be planted. We can't make that happen in our own strength. God is going to have to have a hand in it and move multiple mountains. And how much fun to be in that moment together. In now, we're joining together in prayer and unity over this stuff. How sweet the celebration will be when the mountain moves. I can't wait. And to be part of that as family, taking ground for the kingdom. Have faith when you feel something feels impossible. You're in very good company. Be okay with the impossible. And even having the small amount of faith that with God, things change. You can forgive. You can ask for forgiveness. You can shine a light on that part of your life and not receive shame and judgment. We can pray for that person where it feels like it would take a mountain to move for them to know Jesus. We can pray for this church, for our leaders, for space, for all that is to come. And if prayers like that feel impossible, ask for faith to pray for the impossible. Number three, faith to keep going. Straight off of the back of this, in verses 7 to 9, Luke 17 reads, When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve me while I eat, then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now this has to be read in the context of the other, um, to the apostles, his primary disciples, who will play a crucial role after Jesus' death and resurrection to be sent out and to serve the church in its earliest days. Jesus sends them out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to the places that they knew and were familiar with, to those they would be uncomfortable in, and to the places they were yet to know anything about. Jesus' disciples would hear the story of putting in thankless hard work in their context and know for themselves very soon the graft that was needed to do this work and the role they play in serving the kingdom of God. And we don't read this story as God's only opinion of us. As we work through this series on Luke, we know how God talks of us being cared for, sought out, pursued, celebrated as sons and daughters. We read this passage in light of Jesus who came to serve, to lay down his life, to wash the feet of his disciples. And we also read it to be humble, to be a servant, just doing our duty and just pointing towards Jesus and the cross. There is no time or place that a disciple of Jesus can say, I've completed my service. Now I want to be served. Keep dutifully serving and going at it. Don't expect a reward above other people and cash in your good deeds and hard work. It doesn't work like that, does it? Be on guard for that feeling of entitlement. Or when we see ourselves as higher than others, demanding that the table switch. In the context of all we've spoken about before, stay humble. The time won't come on this earth when there's nothing to correct in us because we're not perfect. 
The servant in the story is busy taking care of the sheep, plowing the fields and preparing a meal. And this just reminds us of the way that Jesus talks about taking care of the church. In Matthew 9 from verse 35, we read, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus' instruction in Luke is a helpful insight for all that's ahead for these guys. He's thankfully not asking them to quit and work on a farm, but to be ready to look after the church, to lead well, and after that hard work in the fields, planting seeds of the gospel and reaping the harvest of what the Lord brings, to offer themselves again in the quiet place, where he also ensures that they have all they need to keep going. The rest does come. Do we have faith in God's goodness in this? Faith to keep doing the stuff, to keep serving, to keep moving, to keep working in the fields, to keep loving your kids, to making time for Jesus, keep laying for the table for one more, keep forgiving, keep in good relationship with each other, and then get the rest you need to go again. And as we jump into the next section of the story, we need to remind ourselves um, that Jesus is still on the journey to Jerusalem that he began in Luke 9. Last week, we, we heard how Jesus stopped off in Jericho. Um, Jesus is still um, on that journey um, and where he encountered um, Zacchaeus last week. Catch up if you missed it. Um, and in, in Luke 9, verse 51, so when it mentions that Jesus is first starting off on this journey, it says, As the time drew near for Jesus to ascend to heaven, he set out resolutely for Jerusalem. It's here in Jerusalem that before his ascension into heaven, he would be arrested, brutally killed, and rise again after three days. And in chapter 17, so hopping on a bit, we read, as Jesus continued towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And this point brings us to point number four, faith for the borderlands. Historically, um, Jews and those who lived in Samaria, Samaritans were people, two people groups who, put simply, didn't get along and lived very separately. Travelling through the borderlands might not have been the way that Jesus' disciples would have been most comfortable. And in chapter 9 earlier on, Jesus had sent messages ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival, but the people in the village didn't want to know about it. They didn't welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Was it Jesus' reputation as a, a teacher and a miraculous healer? Did that reach them? Perhaps the village leaders made the decision and didn't consult the people on the edge of their community, but rejected Jesus' arrival in their town for the disruption that it would cause. Now we find Jesus and his disciples on that road. They're in the borderlands, potentially with their eyes open to the places and the people that would accept them. And with the disciples probably anticipating the places that might be hostile to their arrival. Chapter 17, verse 2. In this borderland, Jesus entered a village. Ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, not only are the disciples in a place where they're unfamiliar, they're now within shouting distance of ten people with one of the most feared to result in deformities and flesh conditions that was believed to be highly contagious. Even today, in some parts of the world, people with leprosy are considered and called untouchables. They are avoided in fear of catching the disease. It would have left them separated from their families, unable to work, 
probably lonely, hopeless, and they would have experienced a life of deprivation. But they caught Jesus' attention and he caught theirs. Verse 14, the next thing that happens is Jesus looked at them and said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Going to the priest was a huge deal. If someone believed they were made well, they would show themselves to the priest. The priest took a role of, of, of a doctor. They would confirm it, and, and whoever was well again could reintegrate into society. All ten of them were healed as they went. They had their lives completely transformed. They could get jobs, be with their families, be a part of their communities. Thank you, Jesus. That's amazing. And then one of them came back. Verse 15. One of them, when they saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus said, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. This can be also understood as your faith has saved you. Because of his thankful heart, postured towards Jesus, he was able to experience another gift of being saved. This Samaritan man, normally an outcast, was included, made well, and welcomed into the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't punish or remove the healing from the other nine, or blast them or shame them for not coming back. They were free and whole to live a life differently, and Jesus was there, ready and waiting for the one who returned. How do we feel in the borderlands for the people and the places that feel uncomfortable, for the actions that would normally leave leave us reeling and for the places that are genuinely deemed a bit dangerous or bad for our health. Do you have faith for the impossible in these places? Does where you go show that you believe this about Jesus' heart? His last instruction, as we read to his followers, is go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Please go to the places that you feel uncomfortable in. Please go to the places that feel unknown. He modelled to them that when you get there, keep an eye out for those who are struggling, on the edge, and hungry for an encounter with God. Those who think they have it all together will find it harder to accept you. That's what we see. In Mark 12, verse 17, Jesus says, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. Does the trail of our lives show that we live this out? Do you know that you are in need of a doctor, of help, and put yourself among the places and people who know the same? You will not need to go physically far to find yourself interacting with someone who feels on the edge, rejected, shameful, unclean, or forgotten. Are you compelled to help and step in, to help people realize the way that they are really seen by God and by you? We can find ourselves in awe of Jesus' heart, to respond with compassion to those no one else would give any time to. And we find ourselves crying out with hope, faith as small as a mustard seed from a distance for Jesus to do the impossible in our lives. And we're on a journey with some of this with 42, the community hub that we have just down the road. And I love this story for helping us understand it. Taking on an old, neglected building was what the Lord put in front of us. And it's a journey we've been on to love our city for the last four years. It's just down the road. Um, a, a, it was an old, abandoned um, 
youth um, youth building. Um, it was closed over a decade ago with cuts to the youth service, and we've been um, able to, to renovate and restore it. And in April this year, it was fully open to the community with a cafe and lunches from £2. Or people can get free food as well. Um, and you guys have run a lot of programmes from that space born out of the need for our community. We love Manchester. And the dream for 422 is to loosen the grip of poverty, particularly for families in an area that experiences some of the highest levels of deprivation in England. Some of our families say that they've gone beyond even choosing to heat their home or eat. It's become a choice of even whether to heat or eat at all. We've loved seeing people's lives being impacted as the building has come back to life. The opportunities um, available at 422 go beyond the things that we're able to provide as well. Lots of um, other groups um, run different activities or, or spaces to, to help 422 continue to be a thriving community space. And before we opened, we took a long time to listen to people's voices and to see what they were asking for. We tried to access people's voices who aren't always heard. So we went into schools, we knocked on doors, we held focus groups to get people's ideas and dreams for the building and for their community. One of the groups that was asked for a lot was a space for parents locally to be able to bring their little ones. Spaces that exist around us um, are often oversubscribed or not always suitable for the needs of their children. So one of the groups we began was Stay and Play to provide a space for little ones with lots of messy play activities, crafts, books, and fun. And this rapidly growing group sees, um, I've got, sees around 30 people, but update last week was 40. So we are, we are, we are growing um, for people coming along. And the team are able to offer intentional support for children and parents to help support positive outcomes for children. If you're not aware, the first 1,000 days of a child's life from pregnancy to two years is a particular health priority in Manchester. A child's brain grows and develops hugely during this time. And if a child or their mother experiences significant adversity leading to the production of more of the stress hormone cortisol, this stress can impair the development of a baby's brain, which can affect their physical develop development and their ability to grow and learn well. Babies who fall behind in their development are more likely to stay behind as children than catch up with those who had a different start in life. And this stress can be caused by many things, including experiencing challenges to make ends meet, a difficult home environment. Health challenges. strained relationships and mental health challenges. And we know that these are higher in our area than other parts of Manchester and England. But children, thank you, Lord, are incredibly resilient. When efforts are made to address these challenges, families might be less likely to experience chronic stress and more likely to confidently meet their child's needs, helping them grow and develop well. Groups like Stay and Play. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I've gone again. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> Groups like Stay and Play.
Groups like Stay and Play offer a space to counteract these challenges and support children to thrive. One mum broke down in tears when one of the team just commented, really, that she was doing such a good job looking after her little ones. No one had ever said that to her before. She thought she was doing a terrible job, and a kind word broke that shadow over her life. The team have been recently working on an amazing project, specifically around play and helping parents engage meaningfully in play at home. Through intentional resources and free play ideas in the home, parents are learning ways to help children's creativity, their ability to learn and be ready for school, empowering families with the resources that they do have at home and what is inside of them. When encouraging reading, it helps children grow in their vocabulary, problem solve and enables them to form really strong bonds with their parents which contribute to them feeling safe and thriving into childhood and throughout their lives. Having a space like this lines the load of parenting and models something beautiful around enjoying your children and celebrating their successes and championing them as they grow. And we know that there can be additional strains on parenting which can impact a child's development. Groups like this help create a different story. Parents are so grateful for this space and the team who make it happen. Like the leper who returned to give glory to God, we take extreme delight in hearing stories at the baptism a few weeks ago of people who find community in spaces like this in 422, which leads them to ask questions about church and faith and give their lives to Jesus. One parent mentioned during a group that her son wanted a religion. And he'd shared that with her and she didn't. <laughs> but she'd kind of got to know these Christians through 422 and they were nice people. So she thought she'd try at church. And then they ended up sticking. And their lives are so different now. And for others, we bless them as they continue on. Lives change for the better. Experiencing a community of love and hope with people who are for them, who are with them because that's what God has asked us to do. And I wanted to share that because within 422, we do lots of programs, and classically, the one that I could share would be the pantry, because that's feeding people, and we really understand. Jesus says feed people, but Jesus doesn't say set up a parents and tots group or do some of the other stuff that we're doing, but just to put it into context of why we're doing what we're doing and, and, and understand that and why we... We ask for volunteers to make these places happen, particularly from this room, because you carry something of the kingdom of God, and we need it in that building. People need friendships. They need people who really care. And some of the most beautiful things are the friendships that are born out of, out of that place, because it changes people's lives. And we ask for more of that. We ask for more of that, Lord. So where there is a, a hope or a dream or a spark in you over any of that stuff, like... Please do share it. There are so many people who head up teams and are part of what we're doing in that space. So, yeah, and please pray for it. So as we wrap up, consider your heart, <clears throat> where you've been prepared to go, and be encouraged to keep your eyes on Jesus, to find hope in the way he endured for the joy set before him. Do you find yourself tied in knots by limiting the scope of your preparedness to live openly, forgive or repent? Turn in faith to the one who gave it all.
Show the mercy that is not understood, encouraged or celebrated in our culture. Break cancel culture. Find freedom in his presence to live differently. Are you stirred to the borderlands? Go. You'll find Jesus is there already at work. Be encouraged to keep on keeping on. Shine a light on the problems you'll encounter on the way. And have faith for the impossible mountains to be moved into the sea. Let's stand and pray, <laughs> if you can. My goodness. Jesus. Well, you just open yourselves to the Lord. I think um, we have a unique opportunity next week to be in 422. Mm. I'd encourage you to be there. But I want to say this as we open ourselves to the Lord. It says this in... Revelation 22, then the angel of the Lord showed me a river with water of life, clear and as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. I just believe this morning there's a river to be stepped into of provision and protection and life in his presence when minds and bodies and hearts are healed. I believe there's a flow of a river that we get the opportunity to stand in and let the waves wash over us. It says in Psalm 46, a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city and it cannot be destroyed. As we step into the river and it flows over us, it flows in us and through us and out into the city. I believe a number of you this morning are going to stand in the river and encounter the presence of God in fresh and new ways and it's going to burst and bring life to this city because that's what the Lord does. There'll be an outpouring of it. Before we say anything else, some of you just need to respond. Come and stand in the river. There's a flow of it. I can see it. Why don't you just come forward and people will pray over you. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.